0: Shalom, everybody, and welcome to the Yishai Fleischer Show, broadcasting live from Jerusalem on the Land of Israel Network. Shalom, and welcome wherever you are. Wherever you are, the Land of Israel wants to touch you and bring you in. And um, here in the Land of Israel, we just passed through the hard three weeks, the Banim Sarim, the three weeks between the fast of the seventeenth of Tammuz and the 9th of Av, and now we're in a period of redemption. And therefore, it is my great pleasure. To be with Rabbi Mike Foyer here in Spiritual Cafe, Cafe at Pardes... <laughs> I'm just so happy. That's what it is, Rabbi Mike.
1: This is the sweetest time of year. I'm yes. happy to see
0: you. Yes. I'm just so... I'm, I'm so relieved. I'm so relieved to get through those three weeks. Oh, man. And, and it only... Only a few things broke. Uh, and I only had to pay a few hundred shekels to fix certain things. And and nothing uh, overly I I bad the 2000 happened. mark. Yeah. You, you had an air conditioner <laughs> go an down? An air
1: conditioner and one burst pipe.
0: That's pretty good. That's that's you. You really got some good kapara there. I um, my my car wouldn't get out of park. That was a crazy thing. I have those days. Yeah, it was. It was just didn't want to. You know, it's like I don't want to get out of park. Why should my car get out of park? Anyway, we are at Pardes Institute. Uh, it is uh, the uh, it's past the te- the nine days. We're heading into the Ides of Av, uh, the Tu Av, which is the Jewish holiday of love or in reconnection. Um, resurrection rebirth renewal and and we've just kind of finished the time now we're basically here in israel in a time that is almost ubiquitously understood as vacation time
1: the real summer
0: right the real summer has begun another way of knowing it is the haredi summer because if you actually go now to gan soccer the soccer park here in in jerusalem for the next three weeks a, a a steady flow of of smoke will be rising from that park given that all the yeshiva folks are out of yeshiva now until the beginning of elul and so everybody's in the park every single day barbecuing to no end uh, i guess it's a nightmare for um for uh, air for, quality for the, oh yeah and the, <laughs> and the chickens i was thinking but in any case um In any case, actually, it's not a nightmare, it's a blessing, because if you get to be part of a Haredi barbecue in Jerusalem, it's like you're on the way to the temple. It's not like you're on the way to the temple. The Ninth of Av was was beautiful. Uh, As I say, you know, for the last 2,000 years, it's been the saddest day in the Jewish calendar. Uh, But now, Rabbi Mike, it's also a kind of ufruf. It's an engagement party. We're getting ready for the temple. Uh, and, And you can just feel it viscerally. Again and again, if you're out in Jerusalem, uh, at night, to Shabbat at night at 2, 3 o'clock in the morning when tens of thousands of people are coming from all over Israel where bus after bus after bus is bringing Jews and Jews are at the Western Wall and, and they're crying and they're praying and they're also a bit celebrating that we're living in this amazing time.
1: Well, it is so symptomatic of how the structures of religion that in the wisdom and power of our sages carried us to where we are now in many ways are cracking. And you know, you can look at that in one of two ways. I mean, many people want to say they're cracking, they're old, they're outdated, let's throw them away. But I think of it more as the seed casing, you know, that as a real sprouting begins, right, all our sages say is that the seed has to rot in the ground before the growth can really begin. So here planted in our land, there's a tremendous, tremendous um, reality of richness within the Torah that we've received from the past. And our task is really to hold fast to that inner sense as many things break down around us. So nithavav historically was simply, as you said, dust and ashes in your mouth. I'm, I'm finishing right now a history of the Pol- of the Jews of Poland from the 13th to the 19th century. Like It doesn't get any darker than that, really. you know. And I think to myself, what Tisha B'Av must have been like in 17th century Poland when the daily life was spiced with a misery that I can't even imagine? Right And this day when you finally looked in the face, how did we get here? On one hand, that's as dark as it gets. The other hand, there's something very interesting that I thought of, which is unavailable to us, is that put the rest of the misery of their life in a context that allowed them to understand it. Oh, right, we're in exile. Right, we blew it, and God sent us out. Whereas today, one of the challenges we have is that the day-to-day experience does not necessarily bespeak exile. Right. And therefore, when we sit on the 9th of Av, we're caught in this terrible tension of like, well, really? I mean, is Jerusalem really in ruins? Like the special prayer that we add into the general prayer for Jerusalem is the text is very, um, very grim. Jerusalem is in a waste. It's empty. It's abandoned by its children. And
0: and 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 when when Mark Twain is walking here, you know, 150 years ago, that's, that's what, what he saw. That's what he saw. Yeah,
1: and yet today, as you said, well, we're all saying this. The tens of thousands of us Jews together here around the Temple Mount, we're saying that Jerusalem is bereft of our children. That it's part of this um, amazing generation in which we live, where where
0: the past and the present have sort of caught up to each other, and the future is starting to glow through. And it does lead to some confusion. Sometimes our own success leads us to stop yearning for more. uh, And then there's like a split in the nation where some people are kind of satisfied. Let's say the Tel Aviv set is going to be satisfied with certain achievements of Zionism and the return. And yet there's going to be others of us who are completely unsatisfied and feel like we're so close, yet we're so far. And there's a tension between those groups because we're like on different pages uh, and that certainly uh, is a problem. But we're not in a time of problems right now. We're past the Shabav. Today, uh, as we speak right now, uh, here in, in Israel, uh, there's a plane full of new olim marking the two, 2,000th ole, a new immigrant uh, returnee that is landing from, the, from North America via Nefesh Benefesh organization uh, on Aliyah here in Israel thousands are are greeting them today that make marks the 50,000th oleh that the Nefesh Nefesh organization has brought incredible and I was there uh, and have been there really throughout this process as well and so I thought to myself this morning you know this this movement has certainly caught on and it certainly has had a tremendous impact on Israel and those those people that come they've basically uh, now if you say 50,000 it's very close to the 42,000 that Ezra and Nehemiah kind of brought uh, from Babylon, and so we, we've had we've we've reached that number. So thank God, uh, we we are definitely coming home. In your boom. Let's pass it. So indeed, we are definitely coming home. It's an awesome thing. That was one thing I was celebrating. The other thing I was celebrating is that yesterday, while thinking about this Aliyah, I was also at a wedding in the mountains of Samaria, and this wedding was with uh, non-Jews, Gentiles, Christians. But lovers of Israel who are on a mountaintop in Samaria, a mountaintop that they've been kind of granted by the community of Har Bracha, being overseen by Rav Eliezer Malamed, one of the deciders, halachic deciders of our time, and one of their sons, Josh Waller, Joshua Waller. There's two twins, Josh and Caleb, and Joshua Waller uh, was getting married last night, and I got to be one of the let's say 15 Jews amongst this. Amazing celebration of Gentiles who love Israel, who are volunteering. They they live here only in the sense that they're here to volunteer to pick and and, uh, maintain the vineyards uh, in Samaria and in the Benjamin region uh, and to help the wine producers, uh, Jewish wine producers produce their incredible kosher wines. And uh, it was this incredible admixture of, uh, on the one hand, Gentiles, lovers of Israel and Israel, an admixture of the culture of Texas and Tennessee uh, and uh, the, the Judean Samaria culture, um, both a kind of in a pioneering spirit. Uh, and it was a kind of, uh, I, when, I, when I got up to speak a little bit, I talked about, talk about the beautiful romance, the beautiful romance, the various romances, the romances of the Jewish people with the land and God and that great return, that great embrace where God remembers us again. And then those uh, Gentiles who hear that call want to uh, hold on to the ham, to the tzitzit uh, of a Jew and, and be part of that story and, and, and hear the Torah, hear the light of God, uh, not preach to us, but actually listen. And that's what uh, Tommy Waller, the kind of uh, elder statesman, uh, the, the, the kind of sagely uh, figure of the Waller clan told me. He's like, he's like it's your time to talk. It's, your time for, it's the time for us to listen to you. And it was just—it was this. And also for me, I—I I had lived in Beit El for many years. So being in a hilltop in Samaria again, just that feeling of the land, just looking out and seeing, of course, the ocean in Tel Aviv all the way from the hilltop of Har Bracha, thinking about the tomb of Joseph nearby, and—and and the, the 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 powerful the powerful um, broadcast that God is broadcasting by, by bringing the Jewish people back home, and and those people that that hear that. And, and just, again, finishing with the three weeks and then realizing the Jewish people are coming home. Gentiles are part of it. We just sat around calling for the temple to be kind of rebuilt and being part of this, hey, let's, how do you spell relief? Geula, you know, G-E-U-L-A, you know, and, and L.A. does not stand for Los Angeles. <laughs> it, it stands for Geula. And, and, and just being part of all those things. Um, what a... I don't know. The only thing that sometimes scares me is like, why Why do we have that merit?
1: The, the, that's a big question, that last one. Um, I don't know if the why is how I would frame it because, you know, why is, uh, strangely enough, a question that we're often discouraged from pursuing when it comes right. to really big life questions. Not because we're not a people asking questions. Lord knows that's not true. But in, in, in the sense that... Um, In order to maintain our focus on actually being productive in the world, often the phrase is, what do I do with this? Right, right. I mean, I'm not privy to God's plan. I don't know why most of my family two generations ago died in the ovens of Europe. And I don't know why that most of my family at this point in this generation is not attached to the Torah whatsoever and why... I am here seeing these things. A a rabbi at
0: two institutions.
1: You know, like helping to raise a family and students and strike root in the land and really filled with a sense of the momentous nature of the time in which we live. And yet speaking to people oftentimes and feeling like a nut. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and they're saying, okay, um, I guess you could look at it that way or you could just make more money and live a happy life. Or, you know, and... And so I don't ask why, really. Why did I marry it to that? Although I do wonder. The answer is, okay, well, what do I do with this? And, right. and, and, and the only word that comes to me and it's so appropriate to this time is grow. The answer is grow. Strike I, I, root I, I, downwards and send out branches upwards because that which grows shows it's alive. And in the long run, that's what we're here to do
0: is bring life. So – so what you're saying is that the question of, uh, or the way I would frame this, the question of why, you can ask it. But then it usually comes out to, I'll never know. And, hey. then the, and then the answer to that question is, the question is not why, but what now? What do I do? How do I maximize it, given well, that it's awesome?
1: You know, when it comes to suffering, this is a classic of Soloveitchik in his one really Zionist work, Cold O de Fake, right? Uh, I think it needs to called it Fate and Destiny. He has a brief commentary.
0: I like, let's just translate that literally, which is my, my the lover. The voice of my lover is knocking. It's knocking. It's knocking on the door. Like right, opportunity which, is knocking. Well, this is
1: Precisely, he takes it from a phrase in the Song of Songs, which is that experience of Israel's love for God as, as hearing the knock at the door. And that's why he wrote the book, right? And because are we going to wake up and hear that knocking in history? And as part of the book, he, he writes a brief commentary on the book of Job. And there he engages this question of, of suffering you know, in Tisha B'Av, is is a lot about suffering. And he points out that that Jews don't ask why to suffering because basically you're left with one of two answers. One is you can't answer the question, in which case, why ask? The other one, you can get an answer to the question. But, you know, if if God, so to speak, were to appear to you right now and say, listen, the Holocaust as a culmination of 2,000 years of suffering, I can explain to you why I did that. Would you really want a relationship after that? Meaning I'm, I'm satisfied to say... It's in God's hands, and if there's a why, it lies with God. I don't want to hear it. <laughs> I don't want to hear it, right? Because that reduces, well, that reduces God to my
0: struggles. Right, He doesn't have to explain things to you. And
1: that's what right. the book of Job is about. Right, Job you know, makes a logical equation demanding to you know why bad things happen to good people, and God basically wipes the board clean and says, you, you can have all the questions you want, but we're not playing on the same field. Right, And so, therefore, what Ralph Salvation says is the question really is what do we do with this?
0: Because because the question of suffering is actually not the deepest question. Because when you get past the question of suffering, which is just one of the modes and issues of humanity, the real question is why the whole kit and caboodle? Yeah, or why? what am
1: I doing with my life?
0: That's just a me question, but then you can ask God, like, why did you create the world for? Why? Is the third planet from this sun, amongst many solar systems, has life on it, and has a salmonella, and it has this and that, and it has six parts of the of the layers of the of the atmosphere, and it has a million bacteria in my mouth right now. My eye, the my eye is like a ball in the socket of my skull. Like, what is it all about? What is it? Why did you do it? And the answer at the end is, you won't know. You don't know. It's not your game, buddy. Okay, you're just, you know, you're just an actor on my stage. And now, do the best that you can. Let's, let's, let's not get too much more <laughs> philosophical here uh, because it, it is a bottomless question. But the bottom line is we are alive, we do have choice, we have opportunity. And God also, very kindly, very mercifully, sent down a book, uh, an instruction manual to go along with life the source code. The source code, and that is the Torah, the Bible. And uh, we are on Spiritual Cafe, Ishai Fleischer, Rabbi Mike Foyer. We're in, at Pardes Institute. And you, Rabbi, you also teach at, um, at uh, Sulam Yaakov, Sulamyaakov.com. Uh, and we are in the book of uh, Deuteronomy, things, things I gotta tell you, says Moses Moses Rebin. Stuff before I go. Yeah, before I go, I gotta say a few things to you. So once you guys sit down here for 30 days, I got stuff to tell you that's on my mind. And I call it personally the book of Jewish philosophy. And every year during this time, I, I actually generally give Friday night talks in the synagogues that I'm involved in. And basically, this is my hardest season. I find this to be the hard, a much harder season than even the book of Vayikra, which is the book of Leviticus, which is a lot of dry laws. And, and you know, I'm not the dry law guy. So, so I always have a hard time here. Why? Because it almost speaks for itself. I always tell people, like, I don't know what to say other than let's just read this out loud and, 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 and focus and in. Think and think about it. Right, think about it. And, and I always say to people, you want Jewish philosophy, you want to know how to do and how to think, just read the book of Deuteronomy, the, the book of Dvarim, and that'll be just fine. And this is my, my father-in-law, uh, uh, Torah portion. His yurt site is also on, on my marriage day, which is coming up, uh, Tubav, the, the, the holiday of love and rebirth. Uh, and we are in the, the Torah portion called VaEtchanan, the, the end of chapter 3, and really f- chapter 4 and on. This is a big one that's going to include some of the most central and fundamental um, uh, Jewish phrases and Jewish liturgy, um, including the Shema, which is hero Israel, Hashem is our God, Hashem is one, and... Connected to that, uh, the Ten Commandments retold once again through the eyes of Moses. But let's just try to go sequentially. And um, I know we have a lot of Gentile listeners, non-Jewish listeners to the show. I want to look at a verse here for a second with you, Rabbi Mike. Chapter 4, verse 6. Ushmartem, keep the Torah. Ve'asitem, and do it, and, 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 and live it. Ki hi because it is your wisdom, ubinatchem, and your another kind of wisdom, leeneh to in the eyes of the nations, which will listen, et kol will listen to all of these laws, v'amru, and they'll say the Gentiles will say, rak am chacham ve'navon, and a, a, a unique smart nation and a wise nation, this great nation, meaning to say. Uh, the Gentiles will be like, wow, these laws, not that the Jewish people are intrinsically smart, but these laws that they keep and that they've been given makes them a, 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 a wise and smart nation. And the verse continues, ki mi go'y gadol, what is another great nation? asher lo Elohim korvim which God is close to it, ki Adonai Eloheinu, as Hashem our God, bechol karainu alav, every time we call out to Him. It's a powerful image,
1: but I'm going to differ slightly with you, which is that I don't think it's just the laws we were given. Because the reality is, you know, the written Torah, in the virtue of its being written down, and ever since it was first translated into Greek, has been in the hands of many peoples. But if you look at the way in which the sages understood these wo- two opening words, u'shmartem v'asitem, right? U'shmartem is a simple meaning, like you said, you should keep. But Rashi here brings the, um, the Midrash halach, and it, it says, right? This is your learning, right? And then, like like you think, it. that's doing. Keep the laws, but learn the laws, no, study it, the laws. The key is, what does keeping mean? Keeping means learning. And that's a very unique perspective on what it means to keep one's religion. You know, religion is essentially a conservative force in society just because we are carrying the past with reverence forward in time right so so there is an element of whoa slow down here people new things need to pass a certain um uh, barometer or a certain check before willing to accept them but what allows religion to also be a uh, revolutionary and creative force at least for Am israel is that what was said on its own the torah as it was given at sinai would be a dead letter if it weren't for the fact that we as a living people are engaged every single day in learning it and embodying it as who we are right now, right? So this is an injunction to everyone since Moshe was standing there at the sh- at the edge of the Jordan River, to you and I today, you know, over 3,000, several hundred years later, that today... Not in the abstract. Like today, have you learned the Torah today? Right. Have have and have you engaged the reality of these laws as they're relevant to you today in the world in which you live? And have you done it? Forget just the learning. Have you done it? And I think that that combination is what makes us great and wise in the eyes of the world.
0: And we're going to learn that concept of doing it daily as a direct commandment later on in this very Torah portion in the Shema when it says, and, and I, I I read the Kriyat Shema, the reading of the Shema, we read it, really, uh, 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 morning and night and then another time uh, before we go to sleep so I read it with the kids and I do it graphically for them I say to them V'ahavta Love Hashem your God With all of your heart I point to my heart With all of your soul I point to my chest With all of your stuff with all of your possessions and I, I point to the room uh, and it goes on and, and it says When you sit down in your house and I show them we're sitting When you're walking V'shach when you lie down. Uvekumecha, when you get up. These are the when these are the times that you're supposed to deal and talk in Torah. So it's very important when you're traveling to be like, okay, everybody, let's do now what the Torah says to do while we're traveling to learn Torah, or before we lie down, or when we get up, and and that's the daily life of it. Rabbi Mike, I want to tell you a quick story. Uh, when I was uh, seventeen. Uh, the beginning of my 17th year, I was in camp in upstate New York, a little place called Vacation Village, <laughs> well known in the Jewish world. And I was a, a lifeguard there. We went out to there was a like a theme park and they had bungee jumping and the bungee jumping was off of a crane. And uh, I, I got up on top of this crane and um, and, you know, they, they tied the bungee rope to my legs. And the guy was like, OK, I'm going to count down. From ten, and then you're gonna jump. And he counted, and then, and then he's like, he's like, he's like, you know, zero. And I couldn't jump exactly then. So he's like, "Do you want me to push you?" I'm like, "Just give me a second. I need to, I need to do this thing on my own." And I just concentrated, concentrated, and I forced myself to jump. And I, and I jumped off the bungee jump thing, and the, you know, the bungee happened, the whole thing. Uh, and I was so proud of myself. Oh my gosh. Anyway, I get lowered down. Uh, the bungee rope gets lowered down. And I get down, they release my feet, my friends see me, my eyes are all red because the blood rushes to your head like, a, like what would happen to your body if it was attached to a yo-yo. And, um, and, and then this ultra-Orthodox Jew walks past and he's like a Yiddish speaker and he starts yelling at me. And I was wearing shorts and a T-shirt and a kippah, but like he yells at me in a Yiddish accent. He says, ונשמעסם <laughs> He's yelling at me. like, And I'm like, what is going on? <laughs> I didn't exactly understand what he was exactly saying. It took me time. I just kind of smiled at him. I didn't even... Anyway, I went back home, figured it out. What he was saying is a verse from this week's Torah portion, uh, verse uh, 15, chapter 4. Uh, he says, In English they translated, uh, Be greatly... Uh, but you shall greatly beware for your souls or be very careful. Take good care of yourself. Take good care of your soul, good care of your thing. And he was saying to me, what you're doing is, as we say in Jewish, usser. It's not allowed to, to put, you to as a, for a game, for for entertainment, to put yourself in this dangerous situation. It's one thing if you're in the army and you got to jump out of an airplane, okay, that's for the defense of the nation, but to just jump off of a crane and be silly like that with your body, P.S. by the way, my back hurt for like four days afterwards. Um, uh, but he was like, no, you're not allowed to do that. And I was very, very struck by that. And I still remember to this day, very, very struck by like that some Jew would just say to me, that is a sewer what you're doing because you can't play with your life. You can't be frivolous with your life. I think a
1: lot of it is rooted in a very different perspective that the Torah offers on individuality, which is, does your life belong to you? Right. Even on the level of does your body belong to you? Not to go into the question of organ donation, but there are significant questions as to what degree that you can just decide, this piece of me when I'm dead, you can do with it as you like because I say yes. But in, in, in this sense, is, um, there are many important things in which a Jew is enjoined to do, and this Parsha is full of many of them, loving God. Fearing God, learning Torah, cleaving to God, all these very powerful commandments. And this one says, and therefore, don't mess around. right? You can't just go pursue thrills because you like it, because they enjoy it, because they appeal to your sense of self-actualization. That's a value. And as a, one of my teachers once said to me that he wanted to go hang gliding and asked one of his rebeim, was he allowed? And as Robbie said, basically, if he didn't say, unishmartem, mu'od. Right? If he didn't just say, take... Very good care of yourself. I would say yes, but since it says take very good care, the answer is no. It's well, a swear. It's forbidden.
0: <laughs> you know, by the way, in the Quran, it basically says that the weakness of the Jews is that they all want to live a thousand years. That they're in love with life, and a lot of times their accusation against us is like, "You guys love life. We love death." There's, by the way, a, a sick power in that, of right? Of course there is. There's a sick power in that because it's 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 super, super, super self-sacrifice. And we Jews also have elements of, of, of self-sacrifice to our times when we're called on for that kind of selfless, you know. But You,
1: you know what we call it? In Hebrew, in Jewish, as you said, right, it's misirut nefesh. No, in Jewish, it's misirut nefesh. Misirut nefesh, yeah. yeah in, nefesh. In, in Hebrew, it's <laughs> misirut nefesh. In Hebrew, it's misirut nefesh, right. So, but why do I say that? Because what does that literally mean? Mesirut Nefesh. Uh, handing over your soul, giving over your soul. Right, to whom?
0: Back to God, ostensibly.
1: Right. It means that my perspective is I love life. Right. It's the greatest gift a person can receive. Right. God gave me life. Right. And therefore, it is the highest value right up until God says to me, okay, now give that back. And so we do share uh, a recognition together with Islam and Christianity in certain periods of its history that. No, life is not the most important thing. Right. God's will is the most important thing. But we stand firm on this notion that it, it is not the death cult, nor is it martyrdom in the Western sense. What it is is misrut nefesh, is that when it's clear to me that God is saying, I've given you this and now give it back to me, that that's what I do. But until that moment, then what I do is use what God has given me to its fullness and, and choose life.
0: And there is right now a, a very powerful Tension between the Islamic world around us, some of which has embraced a kind of death cultish attitude uh, to um, to to how to how to broadcast God's light, how to be true God's servant, and and what you're supposed to do as a nation. And there's a there's a, and it's not only with suicide and martyrdom and willing to die. It's also with this, I think, great distinction that the Israeli Hasbara community tries to say but they never are able to put it in these words which is why is it that the Israeli Hasbara community is always talking about Israel's innovation right on the one hand i find it to be and many of my colleagues hate the fact that when we're accused of land theft then our answer is yeah but we created the cell phone <laughs> you know it's it's, it's it, there's something pathetic about it yeah but on the other hand i have started to understand what they are trying to say they're not saying it but what they're trying to say which is Look, our we are people of life and creativity. We want to give life to this land. We want to give life to this world. This other cult with their lies and their efforts against us, they're they're an anthropic energy. They want to undermine creativity, life and and and, and fertility. They want to they, they they're not they're not life givers. We are life givers to this world. And that's why world and the reason that we're life givers is because we're rooted in truth. This is our land, and, 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 and the reason we're flourishing and our mind is innovating is because we've got this connection to the land and to society, pro- right-acting society and the God above. That's why we're coming up with this stuff.
1: Yeah, right. it's a reflection of right relationship with creation. Right, that's what I mean.
0: Excellent. Uh, let's go on to another verse that I wanted to talk about, um, very powerful verse that we use in the Jewish uh, liturgy. Uh, this is verse 35 in, in chapter 4. And it's especially uh, remembered in kind of the last day of the whole year, which is coming up uh, in one sense, which is Shmini which is uh, Simchat Torah. And we, we always say, Ata Hareta ladat ki Adonai hu elohim ein od milvado. Right? This is like a, a Simchat Torah, you're drinking, American Jews drink, Russian Jews drink, Israelis don't drink. That's their problem. And um, this is a phrase that reverberates especially in Simchat Torah, right? And let me translate that from the English, which is, um, um, where is that? It's 35, did I say? I said 35. And that is, you have been shown in order to know that Hashem, he is the God, there is none beside him. And the deeper meaning of none beside him is that all creation is really him. It's a reflection of him. Yeah, there is
1: nothing else. Right? And uh, it it comes in tension um, with another statement later of Ein Ode. Right. And that that um why do I need to learn this twice? And one of the resolutions is exactly what you said, is that there's a very big difference between seeing saying, right, there's one God and God is one. Right. To say there is one God implies there's no other God, which in itself begs the question like well, why did you have to tell me that it's a god insecure about his unity his uniqueness right um and the, and the torah's phil is in right? who is like you amongst the powers of the world wait which powers are you referring to there you know but the deeper meaning is not that there is one god but god is one is that there's a unity to existence which is expressed in now right? You have been shown in order to know. This whole experience you've had, since you came out of Egypt, through the desert, receiving the Torah, wandering for 40 years, there's only one reason, it's daat. It's a consciousness, the way in which you know the world is but there is nothing else. And of course, the biggest contradiction to that is what? My own existence. So basically, Moshe is saying, and now live in that tension, because I'm going to give you what to do. Here's the commandments. You exist. I'll prove it to you. God's telling you to do something. That's the greatest indication that you're real. And yet you should remember. Real and separate. Real and separate, but not Mm discreet. What do I mean? Is that in the same way that you look at a tree. Discreet or distinct. No, separate but not discreet or distinct, if that word appears to you more. You look at a tree and you look at branches. This branch is not that branch. Right. There's no question. And yet, when you trace them both back, you try to find, well, where actually do they diverge? What do you find? Well, no, they're part of one thing. Right. So, in the same way, each of us is a flowering of the divine will. And that flowering reaches its deepest and most magnificent form through the Torah. And yet, don't forget... Don't think that we're some independent operator out there off on our, you know, separate mission in our little pixelated uh, existence. Because no, ain't old Mulvado though. There is nothing else.
0: Pixelated existence, I like that. Um, yeah, we are born with a lot in our uh, in our heads. And I, I like to look at people and I'm sometimes like, you are a Ziploc bag <laughs> of bones and flesh and a lot, a lot of extraneous thoughts, a lot of things up in that thing in this like super uh, independent mini like its own charge it's got its own charge and 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 its own thoughts and 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 just so much going on in every one of these heads of these people walking around and sometimes you're like my god god created you know millions of these little ants and they're all got these all this like inner god stuff going on in their head uh the god of their own life and yet and yet somehow they're supposed to tune this big machine uh, into being in sync with Torah, with society, with the land below, with the earth, with the universe. And, and it's, um, it's not simple. Well, we're going to get in one second to the, <clears throat> the, the um, foundational principles about how to exist on this world, even given our, our individuality. That's the Ten Commandments. Uh, that's the only other. There's two, ten, two versions of the Ten Commandments in the Torah. We're at number two, which is a big deal. Uh, some people even stand up on Shabbat when we hear the uh, the reading of the Ten Commandments. Uh, but before we get to that um, litany list of uh, of how to make it how to how to make this world work, let's get to a little housekeeping very quickly here. Some important stuff I want to tell you, Rabbi Mike. Um, right, first thing I want to tell you is thank you very much to our good friends Jack, who dedicates the show to his wife Lillian and sister Sarah. Sarah is also Part of uh, the, the, the show, making the show happen with, with dedications and, and help. You guys are awesome. Keep being strong. Keep spreading the light uh, to your community. We got to hit Brooklyn with a nuclear bomb of Torah and love of Israel energy. Uh, and you guys are doing it. Thank you so much. I want to thank the Michel family out in Switzerland for being part of the team and sending me great uh, WhatsApp messages from time to time of pictures of things going on in their life and, and being part of the story of Israel, and my good buddy, buddy Donny Kay. Uh, all three of these, uh, all four of these families are really part of the donation community. Thank you so very much uh, for helping and checking out IshaiFleischer.com and the uh, support page there. I want to thank very much the good folks at the landofisrael.com network, my good friend Ari Abramowitz and Jeremy Gimpel, doing amazing work. Jeremy right now is on a coast to coast trip out there. Unbelievable. Uh, uh, in, in, a, in a RV with his whole family, going for speaking every night in some different community. Amazing, great work. Uh, and thank you so much for this wonderful network. Um, what else? Then I got a ton of emails that came through to I am a listener, right? So you write to me, Yishai at com. You can write to me or to Rabbi Mike. Uh, but I ask that at the top, at the subject line, you write, I am a listener. And I got I got quite a few of them here that I want to read. I actually got one on LinkedIn, which I forgot to print out, so I don't have that right now, and that's fair. As I always say, you can reach me on LinkedIn, you can reach me on Twitter, you can reach me on Facebook. But I got a few here from just Yishai uh, at com. Here's Jules from Seattle who writes... Hi, Isha. I listen to you and Rabbi Mike each week via my podcast. I really like Spiritual Cafe as I'm new at studying the weekly Torah portion. I also enjoy your discussions and interviews. Great topics. The Land of Israel network programs keep me informed and current with what's happening in Israel. I also watch via podcast CBN News and was pleasantly surprised today when I saw you were interviewed on the Mount of Olives. So that was a lot of fun. I did a great interview on CBN and... uh, they did, a, they did a great job, and we talked about the mountain of history and that we're not settlers but resettlers. It's called something like Resettlers Won't Be Bullied Off the Mountain of History. Great <laughs> great title. Uh, we continue with... So, Jules, God bless you, and thank you so much all the way out from Seattle, uh, a great city, uh, one of my favorite cities in America, actually. really enjoyed the Seattle energy. Uh, Daniel writes from uh, the UK. He writes, um, here in... <laughs> No, 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 his emails. sorry, his email is .uk, but he says, here in Bad south southern Germany. Great show as always. I learned so much hearing what halacha means. Always good stuff. Hashtag Brexit, hashtag refugee. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot there to unpack, uh, but uh, Daniel, uh, keep being strong out there in southern Germany, and are you a Brexit refugee from the UK, or are you for Brexit... I'm, I'm a little I'm a little confused, you can write to me and explain to me a little bit more about that. And he wrote into, I am a listener. Miguel heard our show last week when I offered him to come for Shabbat, and he's like, when is good for you? I'll let you know soon. Lots of stuff happening this summer, but he is a lone soldier here in the land of Israel. Uh, Cheryl writes from Canada, says, uh, I am a listener. She says, Aisha, I live in Canada and love to listen to this radio station. Uh, I want you to know that I strongly support the Jewish people and the right to the land of Israel. Todah! I am thankful for the Jewish people and all the contributions you have made to the world. That's what we were just talking about. I love your God of Israel and of the nations, and I pray for you all. I look forward to the fulfillment of the prophecies contained in the scriptures regarding Israel and the world. Thank you so much for helping us understand the Jewish perspective. By the way, I do have an Israeli flag in our church. We do have an Israeli flag in our church alongside the Canadian flag. In my house, I have a tallit displayed in a Seder plate and cup. The point is... To make a statement to my friends and anybody visiting my house, I'll take a picture when I get home from vacation and send it to you. Nice. I like to hear that. That's awesome. This was my this email made my whole day today. Uh, my buddy Zev Stubb is actually the founder of Janglo.net. And if I had to say that there's one way to connect to Israel on a technical means about how to actually make it here in Israel, if you want to know everything from what's happening to buying a fridge, I don't know what, buying a used fridge, whatever it is, Anything and everything in English about what's happening in Israel is janglo.net. So he, Zev, was a classmate of mine. He writes, to Ishai, hey, Ishai, I've been friends with you close to 20 years now since our Yeshiva University days, but I started listening to your show, and I have to say I love it. Keep on rocking. My God, that made my day, because there's Zev is a guy I respect a lot, and he's done a lot of amazing work. And I strongly and totally unreservedly, without reservation, I mean, uh, 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 tell you to Go check out django.net All right, I, I keep going here. Uh, Hila says, she says, here's here's a question, Rabbi Mike. Shalom Yishayim. I'm in the middle of listening to your talk with Rabbi Mike uh, about um, whether the truth is in indigenous argument in the God or or that in God gave us the land argument. And I paused the podcast right when you kept talking about the significance of where we came outside. But now I need to know where were the Jews living before we got enslaved in Egypt. Thank you in advance for filling. This gap in my knowledge
1: You want me to answer the question? Go ahead yeah. oh, well, This I is mean, from Hila e- There are two steps back I mean before the slavery in Egypt Yaakov and his sons were here in the land of Israel That's, uh, that's not a question but, but you know when we on the Seder night On the night of Passover When we tell the story of the Exodus We also tell the story of how Abraham came From the other side of the river Right? And they, that his roots were actually over in uh, Modern day Iraq in Mesopotamia so, so the answer is both. We came from outside, and yet this is where our roots are. So, how did we fall out on in the indigenous argument? I, I told you my attitude on the indigenous argument. I feel like it's just a lame rebirth of colonialism in the inverse, right. and that we as a people should stick with what we know: is that our relationship to God is here in the land.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, that, that's a big topic. I, 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 I I'm going to re-listen to it'll, what we talked about last week. It'll come back up again. That's right. Okay. Uh, two more uh, quick emails. Uh, Stephen from Texas, always writing me. He says, Yishai, I've been listening to your programs from Voice of Israel to the Land of Israel. Love the interviews and topics covered. Stephen is always writing me with good uh, with good comments and ideas for the show. God bless you, Stephen, out, all the way out in Texas. And here's, here's another question from Sabrina. Uh, I love listening to the Land of Israel podcast when I discovered... Uh, after, whom I discovered after listening to a Christian ministry. I'm so glad that there is a voice of truth being procla- proclaimed from the Holy Land. Being in the States, it's nice to be able to hear what's really going on and discover ways to lend support to Israel. I have a question. As a Christian who loves the land of Israel and the Jewish people, how welcome are people such as myself to move to the Holy Land? Thank you for all you do. May Hashem bless you and your family. What do you think, Rabbi Mike? I mean, you're asking legally, morally, you're asking for my opinion, you're asking yeah, for... Yeah, she's asking, the, you. she's asking, she's asking what, uh, how welcome are, are people like myself, Christians, to come live in the Holy Land?
1: I'm, but I'm still holding by my question. She's not asking for logistical support, she's asking what no, I think about asking,
0: it. she's asking, how welcome, welcome, I mean, let, let me give, let me give a, a quick answer and I'll, I'll let you throw it out, okay? My, my answer is very simple. This country is the nation state of the Jewish people. We've created a system by which Jewish people are supposed to immigrate here and, and live here. It's it's a fulfillment of an age-old prophecy and dream and, and, and prayer, and that's what we're doing. Now, we are not actually creating a state for other nations. We we, we, we give minorities in our land uh, uh, support and love and, and rights and all that, but essentially, this is supposed to be a Jewish state. And moreover, we're really trying to educate our children in Judaism, and we're trying not to teach them christianity and other things because we've been through that and now we're very much excited to to have our own culture flourish and i know sometimes christians will say to me yes but but like i'm trying to teach you truth i say thank you very much we have our own truth when we when we are in your countries and your lands then that's like your kind of opportunity to, to to talk with us if you wish although i don't recommend that because i think jews should be jews and our torah has thank god has kept us alive uh, through uh, thousands of years and the God of Israel's, uh, you know, Netzach uh, Yisrael care, the truth of Israel, will not lie. And we know what we're doing, thank God. We are the people of the book. The book is written about our, about our family, in our language. We've been lugging it around for 3,500 years. So we know what we're doing. But hey, you know, if it's in your country, have a conversation. That's, that's your business. But in our land, we are trying to teach our children uh, Judaism. That being said, lovers of Israel have all kinds of opportunities here. And I especially recommend the good folks at Hayovel, uh, which is hayovel.com, I think, or hayovel.org. I don't know. Uh, the, the Waller family bringing in tons of Gentiles from around the world, but especially from North America, to work the land and also to 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 hear truth, hear real truth, and 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 get connected to it while keeping your identity. Um, so that's. So I think I think yes, you are welcome, but within a limited, you know, there's a limited scope to that. Be part of the story. Be part of the story. And you can come here for many months, work the land. Uh, but, but if in your heart you want to proselytize the Jewish people away from Judaism, no thanks. So I would only add one thing to that, which is that I believe that we are at a
1: phase of our national history where our look needs to be inward. Even though there's much momentum toward the redemptive light, uh, which really reaches out to the whole world. And that is, without question, our ultimate purpose. Nevertheless, I feel like the, um, the inward look is very important, and therefore um, there's a healing that's found in, in what you describe, which is just being a people in our land. Uh,
0: okay, very good answer. Uh, just two more pieces of, of uh, housekeeping. One, the flag on the top of the Mount of Olives is coming down. My good buddy Moshe uh, uh, just uh, donated... Money for a flag in Hebron. It's going up so soon. The flag is actually being, actually literally being made by Russian Jews in Tel Aviv and it's going up in Hebron in a big tower. It's going to be seen throughout the whole town. It's going to be great. Kiddush Hashem, that's awesome. I can't wait to be sending him a picture. But now the flag on the top of the Mount of Olives is coming down the top of my neighborhood. Tour guides are always telling me how important it is, how helpful it is for them to show people there's a Jewish community. I will send you the flag that is coming down so that you can have in your house and tell people Look, this flew on the top of the Mount of Olives in Jerusalem, and you donate a new flag, 400 bucks. I know it sounds like a little bit of a lot of money, uh, but it's a big one, three and a half meters by five and a half meters. It's made out of good stuff so the wind won't rip right through it. So think about that. If you're interested, contact me. Uh, I also want to do just very quickly um, offer a little bit of these. Uh, we, we have folks that support our efforts here on the show and you will be supported by them as well check out um if you want the most beautiful pictures of the land of israel check out yal herman i know it's a funny name yal herman anyway i'll send you the link if, if you want it you can have the i'm telling you the most stunning pictures of the land of israel in your house and but if you want to have a the land of Israel in your house because you're in your house in the land of Israel and you want to see out that window better. My good friend Baruch is the purveyor of Anderson Windows in the country. And you want to keep the land on the outside and your house on the inside. <laughs> that's right. And also the UV and all that other stuff. So check out andersonwindows.co.il uh, and that's a great trip. When you're building your house here in the land, we should all be Zochis soon. Amen. And also, uh, so that's andersonwindows.co.il. Of course, tell him Yishai sent ya, right? And finally, uh, if you want to learn to uh, um, hate evil like a Jew, then you need to be able to fight evil like a Jew. Check out CaponeDefense.com. Uh, basically, Avi Capone is one of Israel's top counter-terror experts, and he wants to teach you top-level security and, and training paramilitary and all that kind of stuff. You will learn how to defend yourself physically by shooting. You will get stronger in mind and body like an Israeli samurai, okay? So so check that out. I was thinking the word samurai may come from Shamron. Maybe, maybe it was the Sumerians that came over to I think Japan. you might want to do the research on that. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't know. You know, I, I completely made it up. <laughs> okay, back to the Torah portion, Rabbi Mike Foyer. I'm done with housekeeping, and now ra- but right back. And I want you to all write to me, com. I am a listener. Okay, let's go to the Ten Commandments, okay? Let's go to the Ten Commandments, shall we? Um, one thing I want to say about the Ten Commandments right off the bat is that the visual Ten Commandments are not the commandments the way we count them. Okay? I have noticed this for many years. How the Ten Commandments looks, and you will count through the paragraph breaks of the Bible, you will count ten, and yet we do not count it that way. The first commandment, the way it looks graphically, we split it up into two. And the last commandment, which is graphically split into two, we uh, put it together into one. So it's almost like if you're like a visual person, you look at it and you're like, if you don't know the Jewish tradition, you'll be like, okay, there's the Ten Commandments. I sometimes think to myself, this is the Ten Commandments for the Gentiles. Like the ones that we will read from the book, you'll be like, okay. But our tradition uh, splits them up differently.
1: Which is pretty consistent with the way in which we relate to the text is that there's a, uh, the phrase that the sages use is, yesh aim the mikra or yesh aim the right? Is the root of meaning found in the way the text is read, mikra, right? Um, or is it, meaning, meaning, sorry, the way it's written, I should say, the visual effect, or is the root of the meaning found in the Masorah, in the tradition of how we're meant to read it? And, and the answer is generally the latter, Sure. that meaning resides within the readers, that we are not just the people of the book in the sense that we've been lugging this thing around for 3,500 years, like you said, but because that we are the keepers of its meaning.
0: Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and in fact, I like the fact that like, it's obvious that it looks one way, and yet we know that it looks another way. It, it, it's kind of like...
1: Well, how many mitzvot are there in the Torah?
0: 612 or 613, I've learned now. Okay, well, yeah. I mean,
1: either way, yeah. and if you went ahead and tried to, to count them, you would have a hard time. Right.
0: Even knowing
1: a priori that there are 613, right? you would be challenged. That's right. Right? The sages had a teaching which came down to them together with the text that there were taryag, there were 613 mitzvot. And there are many, you can look at the Rambam's count, you can look at the Sefer Mitzvot, Gidolod, you can look at the Sefer Chinuch and other places, the Ramban, and, and, you know, and everyone's got their count. But what's important is that we're carrying this tradition that there are 613.
0: That's right. That's right. 613. Taryag. Taryag mitzvot. 613 commandments. And there are, that's right, great books like the smog. That's smog. The sefer mitzvot That's right. Not to um, be
1: confused with the dragon and the hobbit.
0: That's right. Or not to be confused with that stuff that hangs out over L.A. It's not the smog. It's or the, the smog. right. Here we go. The reason I talk about this is about these alternative twos like this. The first commandment, the first paragraph of the commandment says, I am Hashem, your God, which took you out of Egypt. And then in the same paragraph, without a break, it says, you shall not have any other gods before me. Now, you could think theoretically that this means I am Hashem, I am God, and don't have other gods before me. It's like one preposition. It's one idea. Like, I am God, and therefore don't. Yes. But no, that's not the way Judaism reads it. It's like, I am God. Stop. Get that? Good. Also, P.S., don't have any other gods before me. You would think that you wouldn't need that second paragraph like you were alluding to before. You would say, well, there aren't any other forces, so why have any other gods' forces? But, but Judaism says, no, these are two separate concepts. I am God and don't have any other gods. Not only that, these are the two commandments which were heard by all the Jewish people, a, a direct message from God to them, and, and that they were greatly affected by those two messages. I am God, don't have any other gods before me. The Medras tells us that they were kind of blown back 100 miles and their souls left them. But in, in other words, and, and then they said to Moses, give us the rest you give us through kind of an intermediary. You be our, our messenger. But the first two, it means to say we all heard it and we all need to hear it daily, which is I am God and don't have any other gods before me.
1: And I think it, because they're really expressive of um, a deep foundation of human nature. I mean, the Rambam when he discusses the evolution of idolatry um, uses a metaphor, which, to bring it into modern terms, is that imagine you had an issue with your uh, I don't know your citizenship status here in the state of Israel. So really, it's the minister of the interior who you need to help you out. But the reality is, is that your experience is going to be going to an office and speaking to some bureaucrat and et cetera. So if you wanted to, let's just say, smooth the rails, would you bring a cup of coffee to the minister of the interior? Or would you bring a cup of coffee to Etty, who's working behind the desk in the Misrad Benin, right? And so the Rambam says it's very easy for humanity to look at the agents whom God made in the world. The sun causes the crops to grow, the moon gives the rhythms to life and say, well, yes, of course, I'm the God who brought you out of Egypt, or I'm the God who created the world, and, and that's an important distinction there. Maybe we should touch on. Okay, I, I understand that's true, but you know, the reality is that you're pretty far away, God. You're, I wouldn't want to bother you about this. This little local entity here who makes the stream flow that actually causes my crops to grow, I, I'm going to focus my efforts there. And I think there's a subtle idolatry. A subtle idolatry because it begins as, of course, you're the only power. No, no. But you've chosen to make your world in a way in which there is what's called hishtal shalut. There's a, right. a, 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 a descent of powers, there's a hierarchy, if you will, right? They're processes.
0: I think you're making a very good point. And uh, another kind of parable that I would like to bring in is let's say you have a servant of the king and he wears white gloves. And, and if those gloves get smudged up, that is very, very unbecoming. You don't want to see the servant of the king or something very high level being smudged up. And that's what the Jewish people have to be. We have to be more cutting, more exacting, more uh, um, drilled all the way down to making those refined distinctions. Uh, we, we believe in God, that's A, but B, we make sure not to have uh, little, little smudges of idolatry in the way we do it.
1: This is why our master and teacher of Cook teaches that the source of all heresy in the world is the immoral behavior of religious people. Mm. He says it is a vanishingly small minority of people who would read a book and suddenly decide to change the way they see the world. Right. Right. But the reality is if we as a people, if I as a religious Jew, am going to assert, yes, there's a God. God gave us the Torah and it is making demands upon me every day. And then my behavior negates that or god forbid undermines it so then people watching me have one of two choices either it's all fraud there's no god or yeah there's a god and you know i don't have anything to do with him. because look at his servant over there
0: you know when you just said that now it like it sends such a shudder through me because it's like um, it hurts it hurts it hurts and i and i often wonder often wonder you know am i living a life that is always giving glory to a I'm not certain. I'm going to talk maybe just for a second. I don't want to get too deep into this, but I sometimes look at my ultra-Orthodox brothers and I look at their dress and I say they got something. They got something going on there because they're really... They're more formal. Yeah. And that formality has an element of giving a certain honor to to how a human being walks around this earth. And it's not a personal honor it's giving kind of glory and a separateness to the people of Hashem. It's a uniform.
1: It's a uniform in yeah. in its positive sense. I mean, we're here in Pardes. And I can tell you that I'm dressed down for the summer right now, um, though I am still wearing a button down. Don't be nervous. <laughs> um, but but when I teach, I only wear white shirts. Uh-huh. I made the decision years ago, uh-huh. um, both for my own sense of presence, but also for Kabbalah Torah, just for the glory of God. Yes,
0: yes. I I am um I'm more and more coming to that conclusion. And uh, and and may take upon myself a little bit more of that. And by the way, when 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 you're listening to Spiritual Cafe here in the Yishe Fleischer Show, Land of Israel N- Network, I just want you to know that like uh, it's um, it's a process by which when I come and record the show, I am learning Torah with you and preparing for the show. And and it, th- these things are real. And and so you know, when Rabbi Mike just said that to me, I was like, oh, you know, I gotta better myself. You know, and it's not just me broadcasting to you out there. I, I, I'm uh, in the process of learning as well. Um, the other commandments, so, so basically there's that refinement in the first commandment, and it's and a, a person who, who is not well-versed in the Jewish tradition may think it's one commandment. We split it into two. The next commandment is not to uh, use God's name in vain. Uh, keeping the Sabbath, number four, and, and that goes on. There's a lot about remembering the Sabbath, and being a Sabbath keeper. And this, of course, is for Jewish people only, really. Um, and, although I think that people who love God can mark the Sabbath, should mark the Sabbath as well. And those who are Gentiles who have come to some conclusion that the Sabbath is on a different day should think it over, because that's not what the Bible says. Um, did I just start World War Three here? And, and you didn't start it. <laughs> and then finally, uh, not finally, finally on one row is... Honoring your your, your parents. And honoring your parents, not only are you commanded to honor your parents, but the upshot is, if you honor your parents, there's a, there's a, a goodness in store for you in the Ten Commandments. So that your days will be lengthened and it'll be good for you. On the land. On the land. Of course, Uh, which Gashem God gives to you. We know that Moses is constantly referring, constantly referring back to the issue of the land of Israel. In fact, I, I, I neglected to mention that this whole Torah portion is named and I begged and I prayed to God and he says, what is it that I pray to? That I would be buried in the land and God says, stop bugging me about that. Don't talk anymore about going to the land. I'll show you everything, but Joshua will be your emissary. He'll be your continuation. I'll show you everything. The Midrashic text says, he showed him all the tunnels and all the minerals and all the things, the hidden things of the land, right? And he showed him the future of the land. But in any case, uh, here honoring your parents, honoring your parents, and of course this comes back to Hebron, the forefathers and mothers. That's where I work. If I didn't mention it, the the you know the 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 Jewish community of Hebron and the. Uh, complex of the the machpelah waiting for you to come give honor, uh, homage and connect with the forefathers and mothers. In any case, mani, uh, um, your days should be lengthened on the land. That is the byproduct of respecting your elders.
1: It's a generational perspective which is very difficult to hold in modern Western society. I mean, you could look at it in a simplistic like reward-punishment sense. If you do what I told you, be good to your parents, then I will bless you with length of days on the land or you could simply say i that what god is telling us is i beg i plead with you understand that life is a process and as you came into the world through the grace of efforts of others so too you will bring others into the world and insofar as you honor those who gave and created a space for you to grow then you will live in a world where i will honor and provide a space for you to grow and, and therefore it's not reward and punishment per se, it's a consequence of right
0: living. I don't think that people are giving enough respect to the four founding fathers and mothers of our religion. I, I, I am now seeing it with my own eyes daily, and I think to myself, that is not a big concept in Judaism today, to give honors to the founders well, you know, it's not—it's not—it's not, it's not, kind of, not like a deep, hot issue. Well, you know,
1: it's interesting that um, that you said that, and you mentioned before that the these commandments were for the Jews, because in the mind of the sages, it's the non-Jews that truly excel at honoring their their fathers and mothers, mm-hmm. right? And uh, this, the stories in which the sages articulate this vision are—I don't know about always, but almost always—in the context of of non-Jews and the great value they place upon this, and so. Um, it, it makes me wonder, and I don't have a really good answer, it makes me wonder why it is that we as Jews are so challenged by something which is so fundamental to the right way to be.
0: Maybe because Jews are a little bit hyper-individualized. Maybe it's because there's so much going on in that, in that brain of theirs that they kind of detach and are like their own thing. And they they kind of forget the long chain that brought them there. They they kind of kind of full of themselves in a sense. Yes, I mean it could be it could be also that
1: there there is a certain um, revolutionary nature to Torah which pushes you to be that which you are not yet, as right. opposed to just be beholden to what you were. I mean we could come up with a lot of theories, but it is painful to me what you said, and I have seen it in that wonderful tour you took my mother and I on, um, and the other times I've spent in Hebron. Is it really is a neglected place? I think it's symptomatic. Listen, I uh, I think about my own failures. Um, I have a very good relationship with my mother, but I left her behind in America,
0: and I came here right. seeking the future. Well, she should come soon, great lady. And if uh, she's listening today, then I hope Yeah, I hope to see you soon. And, uh, you know, can't wait to see all of the Jewish people back in the land of Israel. If I haven't said this yet to today, make aliyah, uh, come and live here. Come home. Right. Uh, just wanted to make that clear. Also, um Let's, let's, f- let's do two more things and then we're finished. I know we're running a little long today, thank God. Uh, but I want to say that two more things. One is that the two seeming perceptible commandments of do not covet Judaism l- uh, lumps into one, right? So that's uh, uh, chapter 5, book of Deuteronomy, verse 18. <inaudible> do not covet your, your, uh, your uh, uh, fellow's uh, wife. Do not uh, yearn for uh, your friend's house. Do not be jealous of your friend's house. Sadehu, his field. Vavdo, his servant. Vamato, his... his uh, uh, Maid servant. Maidservant. Maidservant. Shoro, his ox. his donkey. Vakola asher that your Everything that your friend has. Do not be jealous. Do not covet. And we, uh, Judaism does not separate the two covetousnesses uh, and rather puts them together into, into one. Do not covet, basically. Although graphically, it's laid out as two separate things.
1: Yeah, although you should know that the Rambam actually sees them as two separate commandments, mm-hmm. that they're gradations of, um, of desire. And what's always incredible to me, and this comes together with some of the other commandments in our Torah portions, we see from this um, the greatness of expectation that God has for human capacity. I mean, he's saying you have the ability to decide what you desire. Mm-hmm. Right, if God's commanding me not to desire something, right, right which is just an inner state. But it's state. natural. It's just an inner state. It's
0: in my heart. What do you want? I was well, programmed like this. Okay,
1: it's definitely in your heart. What God is saying, good. It's in my
0: DNA. Uh, you even made if me like this. Even
1: if it's in your DNA, what God is holding out for is the absolute ability of a human being to choose their consciousness and therefore their behavior.
0: Or that he expects you to try. The, well, but that's maybe on maybe, f- maybe he doesn't know if you'll succeed. No, right. no I maybe, didn't say anything about success. No, I didn't mean I no. Ab- I mean like maybe he's not expecting you to totally I didn't succeed. Say
1: success, I said the ability. Meaning right.
0: that expectation is
1: right. based on the potential for success. Right. But you know, it's it, that space for failure is not so valued in the religious world today. And I can tell you as a teacher, it's it's catastrophic, mm. right? Because people often miss when they learn halakha right, and learn Jewish law, and they and they see this mass of 2,000 years of development of detailed discussion from everything to how you have intimate marital relationships, to how you tie your shoes, to which animals you can eat and when, right? It, it, it's overwhelming, and they say, well, I could either just go into this, this obsessive, compulsive, you know, nitpicking relationship to the world, or I could just give up because who could do all that? I think what they fail to appreciate is the aspirational aspect right. of law, when God's saying, you can do this. And, 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 the, and the reality is sometimes... You'll fail, right. but your failure does not undermine the fact that you
0: can. Th- this touches on one of the biggest problems in humanity today, which is a, a general problem of humanity, which this Torah portion is fighting against with everything, which is we form our philosophy around our proclivities, yes, as opposed to having our ha- having fighting with our proclivities due to our philosophy, yes, okay. And so I'll give two very quick examples. One example is the homosexual gay issue, which is we all have desires that are illegitimate desires, or at least in the in the Torah's version, that's not what God wants you to think. So He says, fight with it, fight with it, and even if you lose, continue to attempt with fight to fight with it. Don't create a philosophy to totally justify it because you can't beat it. The same thing is true also with the with the with the land of israel issue with the with the with the palestinians the arabs the the, the jihad that whole effort it's like okay let's say you can't uh, uh, do what Joshua did in his time. But don't create a whole philosophy saying, okay, it's actually their land and we're the occupier. It's it's like, it's it's a little bit like throwing the dart and, and then painting the, the bullseye around it. You can't do that. Have a moral compass. Even if you can't win, don't let your philosophy get shifted just because you're not there where you want to be.
1: And also, by the way, don't try to make your way through life by lowering the bar. Meaning the, the philosophical perspective is an important one, but jealous on a purely personal perspective is i think that once a person lowers the bar and sort of institutionalizes failure into their life is that we essentially open the gateway to all of our lower self whereas so much of what god says in the whole Torah, but in this parsha in particular is i know that you can i know that you're capable of greatness Mm. and and that knowledge doesn't need to break you which is what happens to people. God said I should do 613 commandments and, and four sections of the Shulchan Aruch and all these blahs. And the, ah, I can't do it. I chuck it. No, no, no. I, I know you can. I didn't necessarily say you'll succeed. And, and it's a very important tension to hold.
0: And it's also a lot of love. There's a lot of love there. There's Absolutely. a lot of trust there. Um, let's get to one last thing and, and uh, then we're going to close out the show for today. Uh, and by the way, folks, it's fair that today's show is long. This is a long Torah portion. We're, I'm even skipping major sections. Big ones. Big ones. But these are major, major issues. Va'et is like, it's just one of the big ones. It's just one of the big ones. And we can't, we can't, um, it's, it's if, if you're getting ready for Shabbat, sit down and read this Torah portion. There's a lot there that is that is very, very impactful in your life today. Certainly, here's the last one for today. And that is the Kriyat Shema. The Shema, the Shema, the uh, central phrase of the Jewish people—the one that you say uh, when you take out the Torah out of the Ark, the one that you say if a sword is, is on your neck—it's it's it's the one that you say when you when when you accept God's uh, glory. It's it's the one you say in the morning and in the night and before you fall asleep. The Shema, that's like Israel. Quick story: um, uh, my wife's grandfather uh, is in Auschwitz uh some kind of explosion had blown him or he got thrown into a pit of dung and dung not dung uh, feces and 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 his eyes were bulging out because of yellow fever or <laughs> thing he was he was on he you know uh, he was seconds away from from total death and he was completely in the lowest debasest naked broken in in a, in a ravine of feces. just the whole thing was the worst thing you could imagine. Uh, and this is uh, this is during the liberation, the, the Russian liberation uh, of the camps, and the Russian officer comes up to him on a horse, and he says to him, Yiddish, he says to him, uh, "I am a Jew," and he says to him, Shmais royal." This is the way my grandfather tells it. My my wife's grandfather says, "Shmays royal, I am a Jew. Ich bin a Yid. I don't know how to. Say it. I'm a Jew," and he and he and he gets him out of this muck. He puts him on a, on a carriage with a horse, with a carriage, he remembers that, and, and sends him off to uh, you know, the first aid, uh, you know, Red Cross type of thing. And that saved his life. But Schmeisrael was like, here's my, like, here's me, like... The sign of the tribe. <laughs> right. Yo, I'm, I'm for real. I got Schmeisrael right here, okay? Well, it's because of all those
1: moments you listed when you wake, when you go to sleep, if the sword is at your neck, when we take the Torah out of the ark, right? It's what we say over a baby's crib, right? The night before they enter into the circumcision. Shema Israel is the context of life. It's not just a statement. It's not factual. Hey, Israel, listen up. There's only one God. You got that? Check the box. No, no, no. Because the idea is it's meant to be the context for existence. So the question there, when you say Shema Israel, to someone, say, what world are you living in? Are we in the same world when this Russian soldier on the horse looks down at this this broken shell of a human being in a pit of excrement? You might say, these two people couldn't be further apart. And Shema Yisrael, no, no, we're in the exact same world.
0: Amazing. Um, One of the best, clearest explanations I've ever heard about Shema Yisrael, which uh, which is in my mind mostly daily, and that is that Shema Yisrael is the shortcut version of the first two commandments. Uh, the ones that I explained before, the Jewish people all heard direct from God. Shema Yisrael, hero Israel, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem, uh, uh, Hashem uh, is our God, which refers to Anochi Hashem I am Hashem your God. And then the second part of Shema is, Shema uh, Israel Hashem Hashem Echad, I am one, i.e. not other, there are no other gods before me. In any case, it's a shorthand version of, I am God, you shall not have any other gods before me. In one quick for formulation and phrase. And that makes sense why we say that at the moment when the sword is on your in, on your throat, God forbid, in your neck, because it's like, I believe in the oneness of God. There's no other, I'm not gonna, there's no other person to turn to. There's no other force to turn to. I believe in Hashem. I believe I'm part of Hashem. I believe my soul is part of Hashem. He's the creator. There's none other but Him. And that in one phrase is, as we just talked about, I'm a member of the tribe, but it's also I'm a member of the tribe because... Of the faith. Certainly, it
1: has the word. the truth of existence. You know, and it's beautiful because what is meant to flow directly from that is love. Right? Because the next phrase is (laughs) via haftetashah. And you should love God. And and it's not obvious because the oneness of God that we as a people have been tasked with carrying into the world is very important to clarify this. You'll forgive me if I slip a little bit into the philosophical language again, but it's not a philosophical oneness. The unity of being, like the Greeks and Western philosophy contemplate. It's not even a, a, a physics oneness, like the the, the 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 science world is fascinated by today. Like, wow, there's a universal field theory. The oneness of string God, theory, the string, oh, whatever, whatever yeah, the you stuff. know whatever right. current you know language is. <laughs> but the oneness of God that we as a people have been tasked to carry forward in the world is a oneness of will. It's a moral mm-hmm. oneness that 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 everything emanates from the divine will and therefore creation is meant to be embraced with love and and that's why you see that when when philosophy and personality clash within jewish tradition well philosophically speaking you really can't say about god that he's merciful because of course there is nothing else and there's perfect unity and mercy involves other we say that's nice doctor but god loves us and we love him because we know that walking through the world filled with love will actually serve unity, whereas the philosophical contemplation of unity has actually facilitated evil, right? And so, therefore, it's very important to me to put the emphasis on the fact that we as a people assert the unity of God's will and, therefore, the moral unity of the world, that physics, metaphysics, and interpersonal actions all have moral significance, and that if they don't lead to the love of God and the unity of humanity, or I should say rather the unification of humanity, not unity, because unity implies that's divine. Everything is one. There is nothing else. Unification, where the pieces actually fit together, well, then we will sacrifice these philosophical notions for the personality of God because that's what will really unify the world.
0: All right, folks. The commandment of this week's Torah portion is v'ahavta. And if you have a hafta, if you, if you love God, you're going to love his Torah. If you love God, you're going to love his land. If you love God, you're going to love his people. If you're going to love God, you're going to love your brothers and sisters. <clears throat> and if you love God, um, you are probably going to listen to thelandofisrael.com. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, but maybe that's – an uh, that, that I, may I, a I might it. have overstepped my bounds here. But the bottom line is that certainly we try here on uh, Spiritual Cafe – to broadcast the idea of loving God, and all that comes out of that, don't stop there. Loving God actually means having a deep relationship with Him. Did you hear the capital H there? A him and, uh, and and all that that comes out of that, because it's not a superficial "I love Him" and that's it. It's it's quite not that. He has, the book is thick. The commandments are many. The 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 the, the didactic aspect is is rich. There is a lot to learn, a lot to connect, but don't become afraid of it all. As Rabbi Mike mentioned a few times during the show, don't let it be like, oh no, I can't handle it. Love God. He loves you. He believes in you. He believes in us. If he didn't believe in us, he wouldn't spend so much time in us, let alone create us. So he loves us. He's given us the opportunity. I want to thank all of you out there. I want to hear from you. Write me an email, Yeshai at thelandofisrael.com. The Check out our other shows. Uh, On the network Check out my personal page Ishaifleischer.com Check out Hebron hebron Hebron.org.il We want you to come and visit The fathers and mothers It will be a blessing to you To honor the fathers and mothers You will live a long life Because you connected to that story That's what the Bible says Or at least a deep And meaningful life Uh, In any case Rabbi Mike I want to wish you a Shabbat Shalom Shabbat Shalom God bless you And happy Romance Day Happy uh, Jewish Love Day On the deepest level The love between man And God the love between Israel and, and, and the Shekinah And of course our love to the world as well So happy to be able as well Mazal Tov Amen God bless you all of you out there Stay strong, stay tuned, stay connected Stay part of the story God bless you and Shalom Founded in 1902 World Mizrahi Is a global Torah driven
1: Community focused educational organization Committed to Jewish identity and destiny The Land of Israel Network is powered by the Mizrahi World Movement. Do you like picking strawberries or blueberries in the spring and summer? What about grapes? If you were to take an experience like picking grapes and move it to the heartland of Israel, this is when an experience becomes prophetic. Young and old, singles and families are all invited on this adventure of a lifetime. I'm Joshua Waller with Hayuvel, and I invite you to join us on the mountains of Israel where prophecy meets reality. Go to hayuvel.com, that's H-A-Y-O-V-E-L.com for more information.